Open up God's Word, if you would, and uh, turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. We are going through this amazing book together. We've been in it for about a year uh, now, and um, we're going to stay in it as long as we need to because we want to plumb the depths of it. Uh, if you are new to our church or newer to our church, then, uh, then you, know, uh, you need to know this, is that the preaching of God's Word is the highlight of what we do on Sunday mornings, and there's a lot of things that uh, happen on Sunday mornings from time of fellowship to singing together, but really the pinnacle of it is when we open God's Word and we hear from Him. And the sure way by which we hear from God is when we open up His Word and we, we read Scripture together, we study God's Word together, we get challenged together, we're convicted together and comforted together. All those things happen when we open up the Word of God and hear from Him. And so we spend quite a bit of time doing that on Sunday mornings together. And we do it book by book. Uh, we just take a book of the Bible and we just start going through it. And sometimes we take a verse, sometimes we take a, a paragraph, uh, whatever's needed for us to understand Scripture. That's the point, is to get to the meaning of the text. Because if you get the meaning wrong, you get the application wrong. And so we spend time making sure we get the meaning right so that you can apply it uh, in the right way. And so here we are in First Peter uh, together. We, we were, uh, we took a, a couple week, weeks uh, break. Uh, just by way of reminder, seven days ago, it was New Year's Day. 14 days ago, it was Christmas. 14 days ago, it was Christmas. It feels like an eternity ago, but it wasn't that long ago. It was just two weeks. But, uh, so we had a little bit of a break, but now we're back into First uh, Peter. We hope, we hope to uh, finish it here in the next, next couple months, but I make zero promises uh, about that uh, altogether. Well, there's a continual debate that happens all throughout the year about who the greatest athlete is of all time. Some of you are thinking there is no debate. It's Michael Jordan, and by which I agree with you 100%. Others of you may say, no, it's not Michael Jordan. It's Muhammad Ali. It's Michael Phelps or Carl Lewis. Some of you are like, I've never heard of these people before. They can't be the greatest. I've never heard of them. Barry Bonds. Ken Griffey Jr. or Brian Bosworth? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and the debate is not just for athletes. The debate is over businessmen, bands, musicians, artists, writers, coaches, teachers. Who is the greatest of all time? And the debate has certain criteria, and you set up the criteria first, and they have to meet this criteria to be the greatest. The question this morning is this, what is it that you have to do to be considered the greatest in the kingdom of God? What does it take to be great in the kingdom of God? What is the criteria? Well, Jesus has set the criteria for us by which we can be great in the kingdom of God. I told you to go to 1 Peter, but I need you to go to the, the gospel of Mark here in Mark chapter 10, because I want to show you this. As we understand what Peter has for us in 1 Peter 4, turn to Mark chapter 10. Jesus answers this question for us. In verse 45, he tells us exactly what it means to be great in the kingdom of God, but I want to back up a little bit to verse 35 in, in Mark 10, 35, to, for us to 
fully understand the context. It says this, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask for you. What an audacious question that is. Verse 36, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant to us one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will not drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right or my left is not mine to grant, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, this is the disciples, the 10, heard it, they began to be indignant of James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What does Jesus say is the criteria for being great in the kingdom of God? He sums it up in one word, servant. If you want to be considered great in the kingdom of God, you must be a servant. James and John had it all wrong. Jesus even says it. This is what the the Gentiles do. This is how they lead. They lead by lording over their authority, by showing and exercising their power over people, by looking down on others. And Jesus comes in, he inverts this whole idea of leadership, and he says this, if you want to be great, you need to be as low as possible. He flips greatness on its head. You don't be great by exercising a powerful control and authority. You're not great because you're in view of other people and they see your greatness and they they see how wonderful you think you are. No, greatness is humility. Greatness is service. Greatness is being a servant and a slave of all. To be great in the kingdom of God is to be in a lowly, humble place of servitude. And and in one sentence, Jesus obliterates the world's view of greatness. Pastor John MacArthur says this about greatness. In this quote, he says this, The cost of true greatness is humble, selfless, sacrificial service. The Christian who desires to be great and first in the kingdom is the one who is willing to serve in the hard place the uncomfortable place, the lonely place, the demanding place, the place where he is not appreciated and may even be persecuted, knowing that time is short and eternity long, he is willing to spend and to be spent. He is willing to work for excellence without becoming proud, to withstand criticism without becoming bitter, to be misjudged without becoming defensive, and to withstand suffering without succumbing to self-pity. Listen, this is how you become great in the kingdom of God. 
you become a servant. And you learn how to serve one another. This is greatness. And Peter was there witnessing the questions of James and John. He was on the road here on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus. He would have listened to Jesus as he would have said these things. He would have watched Jesus as well in his greatest hour of suffering, his greatest hour of hardship. You know, I don't know what Jesus did on the, on the night that he was even betrayed. What did Jesus do in John 13? He stooped down and he washed the disciples' feet. Jesus was always in the position and posture of serving others. And no amount of persecution, no amount of hardship, no amount of emotional pain would have keep Jesus from serving others. This is greatness. This is what it takes. And Peter would have this in the back of his mind as he was writing now to these, these persecuted Christians who are suffering each and every day because they believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They believe that Jesus rose from the grave. He would have in mind what it means to be great in the kingdom of God, and he would now turn and encourage the readers of this letter of how to be great. And he tells us in 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11, what we're to do. Look what it says. It says this, the end of all things is at hand. 1 Peter 4, 7. Therefore, be self-controlled, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each, here it is, verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves with the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter tells us in this section, the end of all things is at hand. View life with the lens that Jesus Christ is going to return at any moment. Live your life today as if this is the last day that you have on earth. How do you want to spend it? We're to have that kind of lens, that kind of urgency as we, as we live the Christian life, and then he gives us the foundation by which we're to spend each day in light of that, and that is to be prayerful, to be self-controlled, to be sober-minded in our prayers, to, to start each day in prayer, to live each day in prayer, to end each day in prayer. And so our days are filled with prayer as we live in light of the end. And then he gives us three things that we're to do. Number one is this, we're to love one another. We're to keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Secondly, we're to do this. We're to show hospitality to one another. And we're to show hospitality without grumbling. And then third is this. We are to serve one another. This is, the third point here, serve one another, is the most helpful thing that you can do within the church. The most helpful thing that you can do for the church family is to serve one another. And I've said this before, it's worth repeating. If you spend your life doing these three disciplines, you will be an incredible blessing to those around you. 
If you're like, the Christian life is complicated, it asks so much of me, let me just simplify it down for you. Actually, Peter has simplified it down for you. Just practice these three things. Love one another. Show hospitality to one another. Welcome people into your lives, into your homes. And then serve one another. And this morning, we're going to look at this one aspect here of serving one another. What does it mean? We know it means greatness in the kingdom of God, but what does it mean specifically here in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10? It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks is one with the oracles of God. Whoever serves is the one who serves with the strength that God supplies. Uh, I see here this, and I want to show you this, five aspects of serving one another. Five aspects of serving one another. My goal is to get through all of them, but we'll see. Number one is this. Serve with God's gracious gift. Serve with God's gracious gift. Look what it says. As each has received a gift. At the moment of salvation, the moment that you ask Christ into your life for the forgiveness of sin, that moment where he became the Lord of your life and the Holy Spirit came and transformed your heart, he has given to you a gift to use it for the church. It could be a single gift, it could be multiple gifts, but he has given to each believer a gift given to you by the Holy Spirit. We call this a, a spiritual gift or spiritual giftings, and each one has received a gift. This word here, it's in uh, uh, the aorist tense. It's in the indicative mood, meaning that there was a definitive one-time act when the believer received these gifts, and that would have been at the moment of your salvation when the Holy Spirit entered into your life, transformed your heart. He came into your life gifting you with abilities and talents to serve the church. This word here, as it says, it says, as each has received, it's a one-time act, you received it from God, a gift. That word gift is the word charisma. It's actually a compound word with the word charis, which is the word for grace. And attached to the end of that is uh, the word or partial word, ma. And together, this literally means this, a free gift or a grace gift, or you could say this, it is a gift of grace, meaning this, that it is an unearned gift that you received, that you didn't ask for, that you didn't work for, that you didn't say, hey God, I'm going to become a Christian and what I want you to do is to give me these special giftings that I could use in the church. No, no, we don't get to decide the gifts. God has given them to us and each one, and each person has one if not multiple ones, you cannot earn this spiritual gift. You don't get to decide and you don't get to say, hey God, I, I know you gave me this gift, but I really, really wanted this one. I mean, look at that person. It seems to think uh, they've got it all together in the way that they serve. I, I wish you would have given me that gift. No, this is a grace gift of God that you did not earn that was given to you in a specific way, in a specific manner, by which you use it now for the church. It's from God. 
It's from God, therefore we can't boast about this gift. We have not earned it, so we cannot boast about this gift. In fact, to boast about your spiritual gift is to contradict its gracious character. Each one has received this gift. It's from God. Given to God as He wishes, as He pleases. There's times, and I'm sure you've, you, maybe you've thought this way, there's times uh, where you wish you had a different one. There, there's times where, I, where I, <laughs> I wish I had the gift of administration. I don't have that gift. I've really, really tried. I just, it's just not in the bag. It's just not there. I, I can try until I'm blue in the face to try to administrate something, but I just can't. And it's very, very tasking. But there's some of you out there who are like, administer. yeah, what is it? Yeah, I could do that in five minutes. I'm good at that. That's how the Lord's gifted me. And that's how we need to see it. We need to, we need to figure out what it is and how it is that God has gifted us, not complain about those gifts, not wish we had a different gift, but instead use that gift to the glory of God. And thankfully, we're not all gifted the same way. Thankfully, we all don't have the same gifts. We wouldn't be able to function as the body of Christ if we all had the same gift. One of my favorite hobbies to do, I don't have very many, but I try to keep it to this one, which is to play golf. Um, it doesn't happen all the time, but I have 13 clubs in my bag. 13 clubs, yes, I, I do know that. I count them, make sure they're all there before I go play. And it would be foolish of me to pull out my putter on the first tee box and try to use that club on the first tee box. That'd make no sense at all. It wouldn't make any sense at all for me to stand on the green when I need to putt to grab my driver and to use my driver on the, on the putting green. Some of you are looking at me like, what in the world are you talking about? What is a green? What is a putter? There's certain clubs for certain parts of the golf course that you use them on. And rarely, if ever, would you ever want to mix them up. And the same is true in the body of Christ. Each person is given a gift. We don't want to mix those up, and we certainly don't want to use them in the wrong spot. If everybody uses their gift in the right place at the right time, it is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ and the body of Christ here on earth by which we get to influence the culture and world around us. But if we decide, hey, I'm going to try and use a different gift, I'm going to try to become that person and, and use that gifting, it doesn't work. In fact, it would be a disaster. It would be a stain on the glory of God if we tried to go after gifts that God hasn't given to us. And so this gift is given to us in a unique way and in a special way. Some gifts are multifaceted. Some people are given more gifts than others, and that should be okay with us. That should be okay with us. God can dish out gifts however He wants and however He wills. And at the end of the day, every gift is important. Every person is important. Every gift is used to edify the body of Christ. Every gift is used to the building up of the body of Christ. I want to show you this. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And I want you to understand this principle as well in, in Scripture. 
Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, very important, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So who builds up the body of Christ? Well, each of us do. We each have a role in building up the body of Christ. I think sometimes we can walk into churches or we have in our mind uh, that only the pastors and the elders and the staff are those who get to build up the body of Christ. And we just go pay the professionals to go and do it. When this tells us exactly what the paid staff or the elders, uh, even the lay elders are supposed to do, they are to what? Verse 12, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Our job is to equip you to know how to serve one another. Our job is to show you in Scripture the way by which God has uniquely formed you, the way God has uniquely given you talents and abilities, the way God has shown you and and put you through life experience so that you can come to the table and say, hey, I have a gift, I have have experience, I have talents, I want to use it for the glory of God, or I have no idea what my gift is. Will you show me? Because I want to build up the body of Christ. I'm tired of having my uniform in the locker. I want to put it on. I want to play. Put me in the game. It's not just the role of pastors. It's not just the role of the staff and the elders. This is a responsibility of the entire church. And we build up one another. And we encourage one another. We take on this responsibility together. In fact, we'll We'll look at that as this text even talks about that. But secondly, I want to show you this. The second aspect of serving is this. We serve God's people. We serve God's people. Now, that may be something you're like, well, yeah, of course, that's what that is. But that's not always what Christians believe. We're to serve one another. I think a lot of people think this. I'll go to church, but I'm going to go serve at a different uh, ministry. I'm going to kind of, kind of tag on to a local church because I need to be a part of a church, but I'm actually going to go serve and use my gifts and talents somewhere else. And he says it very clearly, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another. The primary place by which you are to serve the church or use your spiritual gift is with the local body by which you've committed to. The primary place. It doesn't mean there's not enough room for other places where you can serve. The primary place is the local church. This is the most important purpose of this grace gift, that you use it with those that you've committed your life to, you've committed to worship with. 
This is what being part of the local church family is, part of the the church body is. You make a unique contribution to the local church body with your gifting, and there's an expectation that you're going to do so. We're all expecting each other to pitch in here. We're all expecting each other to serve here. This is what the family of Christ does together. This is how it works uh, properly. And effectively is when everybody does their part. And everybody makes this unique contribution of who they are, what they can bring to the table, how they can serve, how they can help one another. I use the illustration of golf clubs, which falls way short of what the Bible uses by way of illustration. It uses the body. The illustration of the body, where we're all parts of the body, of Christ. In fact, I want to show you it. Turn over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's a reason why the church is called the body. In fact, there's multiple reasons here. You probably picked them out for yourself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 12, actually you can look back even in verse 4, even to help us with the context there. In 12.4 it says, there are a variety of gifts, the same spirit, there's a variety of service, but the same Lord, and there are a variety of activities, but the same God, who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit and the common good. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith of the same spirit, to another gifts of healing of the spirit, working of miracles, prophecy, to the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make it any less a part of the body, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, what does it say? As he chose. There's a submission element here, isn't there? As God has gifted you, you use what the gift is that he's given to you. Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we would think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor and our Unpresentable parts are treated of greatest modesty, 
which are more presentable parts, do not require, but God so encompassed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, and there are many, uh, and there are that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You're part of the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the church, and we all have a part to play. And you know what happens when the leg decides not to work, the other one's got to work twice as hard. When one arm decides not to work, if half the body isn't working, the other half has to work twice as hard just to keep up. And it's not healthy. It's not functional. Every gift is critical within the body of Christ. Every member is critical within the body of Christ. We all have something to offer one another. We have something to give to one another, to share with one another, to steward for one another. And we must be dedicated to serving the local church family. Third is this. I'm going to show you this one. Third aspect of serving that Peter gives us is this. Serve as God's good stewards. Serve as God's good stewards. It's from God. We've each received it from Him. We use it to serve one another. As what? Good stewards of God's varied grace. The word here, steward, it's a, uh, it, has to do, it has to do with uh, governing a household or speaking of the responsibility and proper use of uh, of stewarding somebody else's resources. God has entrusted to you a grace gift. You are now responsible to steward it. A steward had no wealth of their own during this time. It was distributed by the master's wealth according to the master's will and according to the master's direction. He would decide who would get what, and there is an expectation there that the steward would then take those resources and manage it well. There's a responsibility that's given to each one of us. And there should be within us and within each believer and with each one of you to say, hey, I've got a duty and a responsibility to this local church to use my spiritual gift. You should feel the weight of that. You should feel the responsibility of that. This is, as I said, the way that you help the church the most. It says there this too. It says, uh, not only are you, uh, is it a, a gift, it says, whoever, verse 10, a gift to serve one another. It also says this, as what? As good stewards. Good there meaning beautiful or honorable. Your stewardship of that gift is to be beautiful. It's to be done then without complaining. It's to be done then in a way where people look at it and go, wow, look at the joy that person finds in serving one another. 
Every time I go to church, I see that same person serving again, and they're so excited. How do I get in the game? How do I serve in this way? Because they feel the responsibility of that, and they're seeing it as, as, as good stewards of God's varied grace. And that word there for, for varied, uh, it has to do with multicolored. It has to do with a, a color palette of, of millions and millions of different colors. And this is what he's saying. He's saying each gift that you have is, is, is multicolored. Everybody has a little bit different and a little bit uh, different look to what their gifts are. They're varied graces, varied gifts. Many colored or multicolored. And again, we're to be good stewards of that. We're to let the world know that we appreciate the gift that God has given to us. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had Christmas. And of course, at Christmas, everybody's given a gift for the most part. Somebody has entrusted them a gift and said, Here, I want to give this to you. And if not one, maybe multiple gifts. What if you took that gift from from somebody that loves you so much, you take that gift, you open it up, and you look at it, and you go, oh, yeah, this is great. I love this. This is wonderful. Thank you for this gift. And then you take that gift, you walk up the stairs as high as you can get all the way into your attic, and you stuff it in the attic. And you walk back down. You give that person a hug and say, hey, thanks for the gift. I've, I've decided just to stash it in the attic because I just appreciate it so much. I want to be a good steward of it. What, what would that communicate? They communicate this, you don't care a lick about that gift. You can care less about it. You take that gift that's given to you, and it's, let's say it's a shirt, you put the shirt on, and you wear it, and you show people, hey, this gift was given to me, and I, I appreciate it, I love it. In the same way, in the same manner, God has gifted you by his grace. You don't deserve the gift. He's given it to you. You have a responsibility and a duty to take that gift and to show it to the world. And the way you show it to the world is through the local church as you serve one another. You become a good steward of God's very gifts that he has given to you and entrusted to you. And in that way, we become like Christ. We show Christ, we show the world who Christ is through the gifting that he's given to us. Some of you say this, well, one, I, I understand, Pastor, that there's giftings, and uh, I understand that there's a responsibility. I, I even understand that I'm going to have to stand before the Lord and be held accountable to this. What, what is our response going to be to the Lord? He said, hey, remember I gave you that gift? What did you do with it? Oh, you gave me that gift, but you also gave me this job that requires a lot of hours. I know you gave me that gift, but you also gave me a really, really busy schedule. So really, what was I supposed to do? I mean, you gave me the gift, but I really wasn't quite sure. So I just decided to just not do anything at all with it. My calendar was filled up. I knew it. I, I felt it. There was times I felt the, I even felt the urge at times, Lord, when you, you put on my heart to, to use it, and I, I just didn't do it. At what time are we going to say, church, that I have a responsibility within the local church family right here to serve those people on my left and my right in front of me and behind me? 
And listen, this is for your good. This is for your joy. This is for your happiness. This is the way that the the love of Christ shines forth in your life as you express that to other people. We stop uh, this mentality that the church is a place where all I do is just sit back and consume and consume and consume and just let everybody else serve me, serve me. We say, no, that is not the Christian life. The Christian life is that I have a responsibility and a duty to serve other people, and I want to do that to the full. I want my life to be spent to serve other people. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And that's the mindset that we need to have, church. And listen, so many of you are doing it so well already. So many of you are. We have a church that serves. We really do. They say 20% of the people do 80% of the work in the church. I can tell you that's not true in this. We've, we've blown those numbers out of the water. We really have. We're doing a great job. But listen, you can excel still more. And for some of you, it's time to say, Coach, put me in the game. I want to play. I want to serve. And together as we do that, the body of Christ will, will, will function so much more effectively the way God intended it to be as we continue to pursue Christ in these things. You say, how can I do that? Let me just use some practical ways. You can provide meals for people. You can visit the sick. You can help lead a small group or be in part of a small group. You can be a part of a Bible study, encourage one another there. You can have words of encouragement, show mercy. You can simply come and, and serve us by helping, by uh, shaking hands at the door as an encourager. That's a spiritual gift. To be an encourager. You can help with financial contributions. That's a spiritual gift. You could hold a baby. You could hold a baby so that a, a mom who's been holding that baby for six days can come to church and sit right here and worship the Lord. That's serving. It's so simple. Yes, that's important. We can encourage one another by simply thanking our, our shepherds, our leaders. We could come up to the pastors and the elders and leaders and we say, hey, are there any needs in the church? I, I want to help somebody. Please, let me help somebody. Just point me to someone. We'll point you to somebody. We want you desperately to serve. And we'll do whatever we can to get you there and appoint you there. Because it's for your own spiritual good. It's for the good of the church. I've got two more points. And we're going to save them for next week because I've got so much more to say, and I've got no time. And we're going to take communion here in a little bit. Jonah, why don't you come up? Let's prepare our hearts for the communion table. Let me just pray for us and commit these things to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we, we just want to serve. We just want to be what you are, the greatest in the kingdom of God. And we want to be like you, and you set the tone. You came to serve. You walked into a room, you saw a need. You grabbed a bowl, you grabbed a towel, and you started washing feet. You even washed the feet of your betrayer as you looked him in the eye. Nothing stopped you from serving, not even death, death on the cross. Father, motivate our own hearts to start digging in and asking the questions, where am I gifted? What are my talents? How can I help? 
I want my life to be spent as Christ's life was spent to serve one another. I've been given a grace gift. When I was saved, I was given a gift, and I just want to use it for the kingdom of God. Lord, encourage our hearts in this way. If there's somebody that's just discouraged and, and beat up from this message, just encourage them to say, hey, there's ways to change. Encourage their hearts. As we work together as the body of Christ to love one another and build one, one another up. In Jesus' name, amen.